Thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. Hey, it's great to have you here. My name is Riley. Um, thank you for joining in on this episode. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Rather than just a kind of straight up teaching or a conversation, this is going to be a bit more of a processing kind of episode. And I wanted to do this because the past few weeks and months have been a bit exhausting. Maybe you're listening to this right now and you're feeling a bit tired as well. Doesn't it just feel like 2020 has been a blur already? Like we're already in June, but what is this? It's crazy. Um, And rather than taking this time just to teach, I thought we could use this time together to just openly process what's been going on in our world. And to be honest, this kind of episode is a little bit scary for me. It's a little bit different because I'm not just approaching our current cultural moment as an observer. Instead, I'm kind of just bringing you into what it's been like in my mind recently. And maybe you'll resonate with some of these thoughts. Maybe you won't. Maybe you've been out there learning and digesting the issues surrounding the coronavirus or the civil unrest that we've been experiencing in our nation and in our community. Or maybe you've just been home and you've been shutting out all the problems that the world is facing. Ignorance is bliss. Uh, But either way, I hope that this time allows us to take an honest look at some of the issues we face and the hope we have. Because whether we're approaching life right now from a place of restlessness or maybe indifference, we'll see that Jesus is our greatest companion who leads us to hope through the thick of life. So I basically just wanted to share with you three things that I'm currently processing right now. The first thing is this, the shelter-in-place measure. If your conversations have been anything like mine over the past few months, then maybe you have been constantly talking about the coronavirus, whether it's the effects that it has on our home lives, the aftermath of what's left of our jobs, the wrench it's thrown into our plans for education, the strain it's placed on our relationships, or God forbid the way maybe it's touched someone you know and they've become sick. But even through the difficulty, we've all had some moments of bliss through this time as well, right? Whether that's going to an online class in your PJs, or catching the sunset most evenings, or picking up a new hobby, most of us have experienced something that's been a positive during this experience. And isn't that a bit confusing to live in a world where over 2 million people have lost their jobs, while at the same time, Space Force is being released on Netflix. It's a wild time right now. Some researchers did a small study recently where they collected over 20,000 tweets that had the hashtag shelter in place or stay at home. And the researchers found that the two most common emotions communicated through these tweets were one, stress, and secondly, joy. That probably sounds totally bizarre. I know it did to me when I first read that, but when I stepped back for a moment and looked at my own experience over the past few months, I realized very quickly that that's exactly how I felt, torn right down the middle of feeling like my world is caving in and while at the same time laughing my way through a new Trey Kennedy video. I love those videos so much. Processing all these emotions, distance from close friends, and only through a screen has been jarring to say the least. The second thing I've really been processing through is George Floyd's death. When I first heard of what happened to George Floyd, I was still so shook from what I had previously 
heard about and seen in the news about Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor. I just thought to myself, how could another black person be mercilessly killed again by the people who have sworn to protect lives like his? But just as quickly as that thought entered my mind, so did the reminder that this isn't surprising anymore. The news outlet Al Jazeera reported that while black people make up only 13% of the U.S. population, they are still two and a half times as likely to be killed by a police officer than a white man. This kind of stuff is vile. It's wrong. Not only is this kind of violence representative of how certain people respond to their prejudices, but it's also evidence of a system that has largely approved the use of destructive and lethal force. And I'm not trying to undermine the police right now. In fact, I am pro-law enforcement. I believe that communities need to care for one another, that there should be accountability across the board for us living peacefully with one another. But man, when George Floyd has to beg the authorities to breathe, we've got a serious problem. And the third thing that I've been really processing right now is that June is Pride Month. I remember June 26, 2015, when the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriage was guaranteed by the Constitution. It was the same day when I asked Chesley to marry me. On our honeymoon the following year, we had the privilege of sharing breakfast with two men celebrating their recent union as a state-recognized married couple. And my heart wanted to rejoice and mourn all at the same time. I wanted to dream with them about their future plans, but I also wanted to cry knowing that God didn't create them for that particular union. My, art, my heart aches particularly for my gay Christian brothers and sisters. Look, I can never fully understand the grief that would come knowing that if I follow scripture as a gay person, then I would never in good conscience pursue marriage. And I can't comprehend the emotional work I would have to do to leave a community of people that embraced my sexuality, to then be in a faith community that in a large part doesn't know how to embrace who I am. In many ways, the church has failed at loving our gay brothers and sisters and neighbors because we are afraid of being on the side of affirmation. But in doing so, we, and particularly me, I have lost my witness of love in that endeavor. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I am sore. I am tired. I am grieved. But I'm not as sore as the people in our community who have experienced loss during this pandemic. I'm not as tired as my black and brown friends who are not just only fighting for economic and equitable justice, but are just fighting for their voices to be heard. And I'm not as grieved as some of my gay brothers and sisters who are pursuing Jesus with all of their soul. And so in that sense, I'm not that tired, which means that I need to fight. If I'm being honest, I haven't been the best pastor in this area. I'm not trying to throw myself a pity party or anything, but I am just saying that I have consciously and subconsciously built walls up around my life that have protected me from the needs of people in our community. I've let the busyness of my life overrun my sensitivity to the felt needs in people's lives. The hurried, 
busy, frantic lifestyle that I have chosen to live has not only proven to drain my soul of gospel action, but it has hurt the people around me. And I, as a white, Christian, cisgender, male man, I have to admit that that's my fault. It's my fault. In light of what's happened with George Floyd, I just want to take a moment and present to you a vision for how a pastor should lead and what kind of example the church should be. Everything I'm about to say and kind of lay out is what my prayer is for the church as a whole, and it's what I really want our young adult ministry to embody as a group of believers together. Now, when I look at the New Testament, I see a church that is thriving. The church didn't thrive because life was particularly easy. In fact, pursuing Jesus was dangerous in the first century. But the church thrived because in Acts 2, verse 43, we read that God's Spirit caused an awe to come upon every soul. And not only did they worship, but they gave. In Acts 2, verses 45 through 47, we read about the believers selling their possessions and using the proceeds to help others in need. They ate meals together all the time. They praised God for saving their souls and they worshiped together constantly. And in Acts 2, verse 47, it says, quote, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved, end quote. That sounds amazing, right? It really does, but trust me, it didn't last long. As the Christian faith began to spread, various churches would pop up. Some churches had a healthy perspective of worship, while others were overrun by the culture, and still others were led by men who were deeply, deeply prejudiced. The prejudices of the Jews towards the Gentiles and the Gentiles towards the Jews in the early church made it really difficult for the church to develop a culture of diversity. But God had given the apostles visions and words concerning the church's commitment to diversity. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. Go back and read it. It's incredible. Paul combated the racist thinking of the day by conveying God's heart for justice within the church. The church was to be a people that pursued right relationships across the lines of age, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnicity, language, race, and gender. The church was to be a collective of different people who shared a common devotion to Jesus and to each other. In this way, diversity wasn't only important to the early church, but it was legitimately essential. And thousands of years later, the modern church has the same mission as the early church, and with it, the same issues. You know, Jim Crow laws have ended. Classic segregation is outlawed. But as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. In the church, we don't necessarily see the kind of segregation that MLK was talking about, but we do see a great divide between our sympathy and our solidarity. And this is the time for us to stand with our brothers and sisters of color and to love them through not only our sentiments, but our sacrifice, because we cannot stay silent while this injustice continues. 
So to close, I wanted to just share with you two prayers from the common book of prayer. And I wanted to do this because the authors of these prayers said it way better than I could. So I just want to read these to you. These are prayers that you and I can join in on together. And the first prayer is called the prayer for social justice. It says this, just take a moment and pray this with me. Grant, O God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart, and especially the hearts of the people in America, in California, and in Monterey County, that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatreds cease, that our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The second prayer is kind of like it. It's called the prayer in times of conflict. Again, just pray this along with me in your heart and your mind. Oh God, you have bound us together in a common life. Help us in the midst of our struggles for justice and truth to confront one another without hatred or bitterness and to work together with mutual forbearance and respect. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, before you go, I wanted to share with you a poem that our good friend Chelsea Kerr wrote in response to George Floyd's death. I hope it blesses you. This one is called The Change Starts With Me. The change starts with me. No more pointing fingers. Search me, oh God, and know my thoughts. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Everlasting. You know what's everlasting souls are. You know who doesn't see the outward appearance? God doesn't. You know who often chooses to live with loving with partiality? Most of us do. But God, he wants the glory. He says love unconditionally and without partiality. But how? The thought, it makes me sick, nauseated that no one hesitated to save him from them. But I, we aren't above them. Have you ever kept your mouth closed when it needed to be opened? Have you ever only done what you know because it's comfortable? I have, so I am putting, what am I putting my hope in? Brown, white, black, and yellow, am I missing any? Please tell me. Please tell me because I'm so on doing thinking and feeling what is most comfortable so do not interrupt me if you think the reason for his death is presumptuous there are no excuses and I will not stay silent any longer any longer it took Jesus a little bit longer to go out of his way to talk to the Samaritan woman he went the long way through Samaria a complete detour and saved her he zeroed in on an individual who was not accepted by society, to say the least, and saved her. He loves us individually, so we should do the same. 
He targets and loves each people, group, and person and cancels out all the shame. He targets. He targets out and loves each people, group, and person and cancels out all the shame brown white black and yellow please forgive me for the colors i'm not naming all that's in between means the world to the savior who died to bring victory victory over racism over murder over injustice and acts of grievous disparity jesus died to bring victory over racism, over murder, over prejudices and acts of grievous disparity. I'm so sorry, George Floyd, and countless others who have experienced the same. You did not deserve what happened to you, and we will not forget your name. Justice will be served. We are fighting for you. May our voices on your behalf be heard. Our eyes are opening to the devastation, chaos, and consequences of staying new. George, our eyes are opening to the devastation, chaos, and consequences of staying mute. The change, it starts with me.